Hey everyone, you're tuned into the Founder Hour. I'm your co-host Pat. I'm Posh. And uh, we're here today with Dr. Renee Dua. She's the co-founder and chief medical officer of HEAL. Pretty much their mission is to bring uh, kind of doctors in the home and make it easy and efficient and affordable uh, for folks to get the care they need. Is that right? That Did is I correct. That? Okay, cool. That is correct. Well, thanks for your time and thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, why don't we kind of dive into your upbringing and uh, sort of your background? Sure. Uh, what were you like as a kid? Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Those kinds of wow. things. Wow. No one ever asked anything good like that. So <laughs> um, again, thanks very much for having me. I um, I am the founder of Heal and, and the way I got here is kind of a long story. But as a young kid, um, I knew I wanted to either be a teacher or a doctor. Uh, and I spent time in college uh, interviewing for both. So I did med school interviews and I did interviews uh, to be a, a high school teacher. In fact, I had uh, gotten a job as a teacher just one day before I got accepted to medical school. So um, I spent my college year studying literature. I studied science. I did a lot of research at the time. HIV was a new diagnosis and AIDS. So I did a lot of AIDS research. I was very excited about, and I still am excited about, the transformation, you know, the, the, I don't want to say transformation, but let me say the dissemination of information, mm -hmm. right? So you learn something and how do you explain what you've learned to someone who needs to be educated? And right. of course a doctor does that, a teacher does that. And so that was, um, I, I thought that would be my calling. Mm -hmm. When I got accepted to medical school, um, I decided to put the teaching job on hold. I got into medical school. It was, maybe the best four years of my life. I, I had a great time in med school. I had great friends. And you friends. were out in Chicago? I was out in Chicago. That's exactly right. And I trained back home. I came back to Los Angeles to do internal medicine, and I also did um, what's called nephrology, which is a kidney, uh, a, a study of the kidney mm -hmm. uh, diseases. Um, my father... He's also a kidney specialist. Okay. So I interviewed. I was going to ask how that's that right. specialization came. Yeah. So I, well, so in fact, my father said to me, I don't want you to work with me, right? Mm. I, you know, it's too many opinions. Yeah. I don't want to have to listen to, you know, you and your nonsense. And um, I, uh, I did interview around, right? But I told my dad that, listen, you know, this will be fun, right? I'm going to turn your practice around and I'm going to make it wireless and paperless and you're going to love it. And that was not fun for him at all. Uh, I was, you know, one of the first adopters of an, of the EMR in our neighborhood. Yeah. I made us meaningful use compliant. And all of this is to say that I turned his practice upside down. I let a lot of his staff go. Mm -hmm. I installed, you know, I, I, I installed this EMR with a new billing system. And what's so EMR? EMR is electronic medical record system. Mm -hmm. So at the time when I joined my father, we were still using paper charts. Mm -hmm. And then I took all of that over and I started using a computer to document, to bill. Right. I made him recreate his human resources. I got him a new office manager. It was crazy. So needless to say, he hated you. He hated me. <laughs> yeah. I I'm mean, I, that year was probably the most miserable of his life. Yeah. I'm curious, obviously, like, you know, you're an entrepreneur now um, and you've started your own company, but back then, I mean, most, uh, I feel like folks that go into more traditional, um, like, let's say it's like being a lawyer or a doctor or something right. that, you know, there's like a history right. of like process right. and practices right. that kind of just go into the system and they just be a part That's of the right. system. And That's you kind right. of had like this, like more, you well, know. kids grow up to be what their parents are, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I am no different, right? Mm -hmm. My husband, Nick, who grew up to be what his father and mother are, mm -hmm you know, tells me I'm a scion, right? I took over my father's practice. Um, and I did, I did exactly what 
he did, literally to a T, right? He was one of the first kidney specialists in the San Fernando Valley, probably the first. And he, every day, hoped for a consult, hoped to see a patient. And his practice grew and grew and grew. And, you know, for a period of time, he was a celebrity physician, right, mm-hmm. for the specialty. And um, I I genuinely followed exactly in his footsteps. Um, some of the other things I did that my father did, for example, in his day, it was a big deal to be chief of staff at a hospital, yeah. right? And I went on to do a lot of administrative work. In his day, it was a big deal to have um, clinical you know, professorship, right? And so I went on and I had a teaching position. Um, and I, I learned, I cannot say enough how much I learned from my dad and his management of patients. You know, my dad was the kind of guy that uh, somebody would be sick. I, I'll never forget how many times we would pull up into a gas station or pull up into a Kmart, you know, it was called Kmart mm-hmm. then. And he would look at the cashier and say, you know, just looking at you, you should get your thyroid checked, right? <laughs> like he was that guy, you know, yeah. he was that doctor. I'm One sure of, in certain, certain cases it worked to his favor and sometimes not. <laughs> of course. But, but actually in those days, it was a lot more in people's favor, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. in those days, we, don't ha- we didn't have the internet and right. the cell phone. If something was going on, I remember he was driving us to Mammoth once and there was a young boy who was at the gas station whose skin was flaking like crazy. Mm. And it was the skin was flaking so much it was on the handles of the, uh, the you know gas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you call the it? Pedal. The, the yeah, no, 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 the, the pump, the right? Pump, yeah. right. Yeah. And this boy probably had some kind of in in at the in the opinion of my father. I was a little girl at the time, but in the opinion of my father, he probably had a skin cancer. Mm-hmm. That was this shedding. Like skin. it was a symptom. Of it that. was a symptom yeah. of a skin cancer. And we were, you know, in the middle of nowhere, right? On the way to Mammoth, you know, how for miles, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing. And so he told this boy that, look, where are your parents? You know, let me, let me talk to your father. The boy's father came out. And my dad said, I'm just giving you a, a, an opinion. I'm a doctor. This is what I think, you mm-hmm. know. I never, we never heard from that kid. But I remember thinking, and this was, you know, my parents had an Econoline van. And, <laughs> right? and me and my brother and sister were in the back. And we were just like... Wow, is that rude or not? We don't we don't know. Yeah. You know, but you know, I look at that 30 years later and I think, can you imagine if you were that kid's parents, yeah. you know, and this random guy from India, right? My father's like my skin color, maybe darker, has an accent, you know, mm-hmm. maybe dresses different than him, has this humongous econo line, walks into your gas station and gives you this information that could be life altering, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, for your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about that now that I'm a mother, now that I'm like an American, I'm assimilated. You know, how would I take how would I take that information? Mm-hmm. And I all I can think about is being so grateful, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I have this really, um, you know, I, I, my my father's a really special guy, and he kind of led me to understand what compassion is and yeah. what kindness is and how, I mean. To this day, to this day, there are patients of his, their kids come to see me, mm-hmm. you know? Thank God for your, thank God for Dr. Dua, right? Mm-hmm. I can pull into the car dealership and, you're Dr. Dua's daughter? Have a seat. We'll take care of you right now, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's an amazing, uh, amazing upbringing and one I don't get to talk about very much. <laughs> How are you able to separate yourself from him? You know, I don't, to, to I be don't, your own person, it's, your a, own it's a phenomenal question. And, and truthfully, I really don't, right. I don't, I have 
such a distinct admiration for my dad. I mean, you know, now my father's older and, and he is, um, you know, he's stubborn and he's set in his ways and, you know, that's what happens to older people. But, but I never tried to, I, I genuinely never tried to. In fact, my father said to me when I started my practice with him, you know, people are going to have issues with the fact that you joined me or they're not, they didn't like me, so they're not going to like you or, you know, whatever, whatever jealousy, you know, maybe that will be involved. Change your name, take Nick's name, you know? And I was like, this is my name. This is my name. It will be my name. Yeah. I'm not changing my name. And, and Nick you is know? your husband. Nick who's is the my CEO husband of with, with we'll a get, separate yeah, last name. Right? We'll, we'll get That's to that. right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm, so kind of going back to what I was saying before is kind of like this. You had this mentality of like I'm going to go into you know my my dad's practice mm-hmm. and I'm going to kind of turn it upside down right. essentially. And right. I think that's you know really interesting because kind of fast forward now and, and you're an entrepreneur like you, you you kind of had that kind of yes. bug in you and I'm yes. kind of curious where that came from. Yeah, and I I absolutely think it came from my dad when mm-hmm. I finished school, um, when I finished all my training, which I did years of training, I knew I was never going to work for anybody. And I did interview. I interviewed at, you know, HMO hospitals. I I interviewed everywhere, right? But in the end, what I realized was I couldn't be told how to spend my my day. And I didn't want to be I didn't want to be limited by someone else's vision of what I could and could not do. Um, And so when I joined my father, you know, in a, in a in a sense, I was working for my dad, mm-hmm. but in another sense, because I overhauled his practice and turned it into my own, I did distinguish myself, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and that you know, to answer your mm-hmm. question, Pasha, that's how I I distinguish myself is I turned what he built into something I did. I I made it my own. Mm-hmm. But going into kind of the entrepreneurial thing that you brought up, Pat, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor Dua, I feel like. Medicine is one of those areas that because of the regulatory uh, nature of medicine, it's kind of difficult to be entrepreneurial as opposed to other sorts of businesses. So So how are you able to go above and beyond that or around it to figure out, okay, you know, there are certain things that I could do perhaps better and are still within these guidelines because medicine is kind of this authority above you that you really have to answer yeah, to. For sure. You know, whether it's HIPAA for or sure. all the other sorts but, of But let me, let me be very clear. It is not every person that can graduate from training and go and start a practice, mm-hmm. right? right? It takes enormous funds to do that. And it takes a lot of learning and reading. Now, the learning and the reading, I did. I learned the laws. I learned the regulation. Mm-hmm. I figured out, you know, I, I learned human resources, right? We don't learn human we barely learn how to be kind let alone (laughs) how to manage employees Mm -hmm. you know um so to be very clear i was in a very lucky position that i had a father who had a practice that i could have and use for this purpose nobody gets that that's very unusual that's why people go and work at kaiser because it's all set right but the other part of it is just determination and wanting to learn and yeah. wanting to lead people. Some of the least busy times in my private practice, the least busy is when I was in a position of leadership. So to be clear, when I was head of you know peer review at a hospital, I, my, my referrals would go down. My consults would go yeah. down because people were like, oh. You know, now she's reading my charts. I don't I don't want her to have anything to do with me. She's the enemy. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, look at how people think, yeah. you know. So you had to be willing to sustain, you know, with each thing, with each and I, and I would consider that climbing mm-hmm. a ladder, mm-hmm. right? To be clear. With each accomplishment, 
I lost something, right? Mm-hmm. I maybe my practice got slower, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, I remember I would I was chief of medicine finally as I escalated up, and again learning about hospital rules and affiliations mm-hmm. and expectations. And as I was chief of medicine, I remember I went to go see a dialysis patient one day, and the wife says to me, "What do you think you're president?" You know. Like, you know, because I was so busy, right? Mm-hmm. I was so busy trying to do this role. And I had this, you know, this patient's wife putting me down and criticizing me yeah. for it, you know? Did you enjoy the years of private practice that you were involved I with? I enjoy them immensely. I am a nephrologist through and through. It is honestly how I identify myself. I mean, th- did that passion stem from just seeing your dad when you were a kid? I mean, it, it ha- was there ever a point where you were like, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing? Never. And so the reason I became a nephrologist partly was because I saw how committed my patients, my dad's patients mm-hmm, were to him, mm-hmm. but also because it was the perfect meld of science with human beings and how it affects them. So when I'm in my you know office and, and I'm taking care of kidney patients or talking to dialysis patients, we're having a conversation about their lives and how they've had in, in, I mean, dialysis patients are fighters, right? How their life has changed and how they are growing alongside it, right? Or they're at a place in their lives where it's time for them to come off dialysis. It's time for them to have peace and, and, you know, rest, right? It's time for them to die. And so I have this conversation, which is an incredibly powerful conversation to have with any human being but I have it with people who have put their all their trust in me. Um, and that, I don't take that lightly. That's a, a responsibility that, you know, yeah, I went to school for it. But I also earned the credibility to be able to have such a relationship with people who think, oh, my God, I'm so glad it's you that's comforting me. I just had a baby about three months ago, and I've just started back at my practice. And I was telling, <laughs> I was telling our general counsel the other day, on, I, I see my dial my kidney patients on Wednesdays in the office. I had lipstick all over my face, just from the hugging and the kissing. And the, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. What could be better than that? You know, I, I when I think about doctors and you know patients and talking to them about those difficult situations, mm-hmm. I think that it's very difficult to separate the emotional oh, side of it. So difficult. How do you deal with that? Not well. Right. And as I get older and now that I'm a mother, worse and worse. So how do you deal with it? it I, I take it home. Hmm. Right. I take it home. I think I'm thinking about it right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's a very close a patient of mine I lost a few weeks ago and I have not let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. What could I have done better? What did I not do? What could we have done? I'm still going, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, that is that is a very challenging thing as a doctor. If you are the kind of doctor that doesn't have a clock in clock out mentality and you bring your patients and their families home with you, I don't have a great answer. This is one of the catastrophic things that's happening to us doctors right now. It's Mm -hmm. being forgotten that we are human beings and we take this home. We take it out on our mental health aspect of it. God, we sleep on it. We think about it at night. You know, we, we perseverate. Um, some people can work out, it goes away, you know, I'm not great at that, right? Um, some people can forget or, you know, I've, I've certainly relish my own family, my own children, right? I, I, you know, they give me the capability to put one foot in front of the other, there's no doubt. But I don't have a great answer for you. I don't know the answer. And that's part of my own flaw is I don't know how to separate from 
that humanity, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you and like every doctor. Every doctor. Yeah. Every doctor. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least every good doctor that actually gives that's a true. Shit. That that's true. true. And yeah. many many are able to do it. You know, I yeah. don't know who they are, um, and I don't know what field that is because mm. you can go into medicine thinking, oh, this won't affect me. But then somewhere along the line, you will become the patient. Mm -hmm. And when you become the patient and you see a doctor not do you service, your whole outlook changes. Absolutely. You know, um, that's another thing. I've been a patient, right? My kids have been patients. You know, the medical system has let me down, cat I mean, disastrously. And that affects how I think about my patients. And that's how you started Heal. Or that's that why is, you started Heal. That is heal. why I started Heal. So that's why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yeah, that story? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Nick and I began a family. I was so busy as a physician in, in private practice. And, you know, one day... Which you did for like about seven years. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. I'm forgetting all I the dates I think I looked at your now. LinkedIn and that's what I saw. So. Oh, Going off of that. I'm glad you did it that. It wasn't Wikipedia, so it was a more credible source. I, I have no idea. I don't <laughs> even know. Do we have a Wikipedia page? Who knows? I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm not good at reading all these things. But anyway, um, that's exactly right. I, I, yeah. I was so busy as a nephrologist and I had been newly married and Nick said, you know, this is too much, right? Every every five minutes the phone was ringing. Every weekend I was seeing patients. And he, I said to him one day uh, as we began a family that I want you to build me an app. And I want this app to work like Uber. I'm going to turn it on and off and you're going to drive me around. You're going to be my medical assistant. What was he doing? He hadn't, uh, he was actually shutting, slowly shutting down another company. Hmm. And uh, I... I said to him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to uh, be, you know, you're going to drive. You're going to, I have the medical supplies and you will uh, assist me. Right. And he did. He did what I asked. Um, and at the time it was after, you know, multiple medical crises for me, for new kids. It was crazy, you know. And I remember when we started Heal, I remember thinking with the first iteration that Nick built, with his, you know, some of his friends that if we want to do this right, we have to get a network with insurance. We have to deliver this. This has to be the standard of care, right. right? The house call has to be the standard of care. It has to be understood that in order to get the best doctor, you can stay home. And was there like a moment that occurred that made you want to start this company? Or was it like just over that seven years of practicing you, yeah. all these problems that you saw? I mean, you know, what you'll often read about is we were driving home from a, a terrible time at, at an emergency room around mm. here in LA, um, where we met, you know, another set of, you know, miserable doctors and mm. yeah. <laughs> right long wait, long wait in the, you know, in the waiting room. And by the time we got seen, our son was better. And it was on that ride home that I, I, all I thought about, in fact, as a nephrologist was, I have patients who don't read, who don't speak English, who don't understand elect, you know, explanations of benef explanation of benefits, yeah. which is what you get after you use your insurance that's supposed to explain how payment was applied and they make no sense. Mm -hmm. um, all, that's all I thought about. Mm -hmm. You know, I have patients who to this day will wake up at 4.30 to take three buses to get to my office on time, you know. What the hell do they do when they have an emergency? You know, are they supposed to take a day off work? Who do they talk to? How do they explain it? And, and you know, Nick and I had this conversation on the way home. Um, but the truth is, is that, you know, after Nick built Heal, we were sitting on a corner in, in my house on, on a couch. And I, I just saw it and I thought to myself, wow, you know, if this guy can build this 
and I can think about how I would want to personalize, how I would want to be treated as a patient. Mm -hmm. And we can conjoin that philosophically. We have something very special here, you know. Keeping in mind what you bring, what you bring up, all the regulation and mm-hmm. the rules and the laws, and and we we abide by all of it, right? Um, and it takes time to do that. But we really thought about what would we do if we were patients? We have yeah. everything. We have every blessing under the sun. What would we do right. you know, if we didn't? Well, were you ever hesitant to go into business with your husband? Never. Never. Not once. And I'm not to this day. Yeah. I mean, and he drives me crazy. How's that dynamic been though? It's been like, I mean, like it's, again, speaking about is, taking it home, like he, do you take he, the business Yes, we do. And he yeah. is crazy and I am crazy. And that's very lucky <laughs> that's what you need. for this business. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I was reading, somebody was reading to me a glass door review, right? About us. Isn't that what it's called? Uh, I'm, because I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, and it says, you know, Renee is crazy. And if Renee is crazy, Nick, something like this, Nick is crazy. You want a freaking psychopath after your health, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what you want. I, I, I am crazy. And so is Nick. And we bring that very high energy, that very um, detailed, obsessive, compulsive, this is one of our kids. Yep. This is one of our kids. And we bring that love to this office every day, right? And yeah, does it make for arguing? Does it make for yelling? You bet. Right. But I have opinions. I think they should be heard. Nick works his bottom off to fundraise this company and he doesn't, there's nobody like Nick, Mm -hmm. right? Nobody could do what Nick does. I'm sold on that. Mm -hmm. And when you have that really special relationship where, you know, Nick is my best friend. You're on the same page. We're on the same page. There is nothing that could, you know, God forbid we get divorced 10 years from now, but even then I bet. We would be aligned, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know what we want to accomplish for the sake of what has happened to us. And so it's so personal, Mm -hmm. we want it to work. Makes sense. Besides the relationship, besides the regulations, what was the biggest challenge in starting Heal Up and getting it off the ground? Every day it's the same challenge, which is that the people who fund businesses don't have trouble getting healthcare, (laughs) right? Yep. People with money have the money to invest and to them they don't need they don't need access mm-hmm. so the concern over someone who is waiting at children's hospital or the concern over someone who doesn't speak english and is using the er it doesn't touch them it's not personal getting your groceries delivered they get it right getting your makeup done at home they get it getting a ride they get it getting a doctor to come and relieve you when you are at your worst they have no they have a doctor on speed dial, right? Right, a waiter, gen- genuinely. So they don't feel the same yeah. sense of commitment to that cause. And and I mean, that's a great segue. I think speaking of fundraising, uh, I think I saw that you had raised like over seventy million dollars, mm-hmm. multiple rounds uh, yeah. of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that process like? Was it challenging? I mean, I'm sure it was challenging initially, mm-hmm. especially. But is it? I mean, is it still challenging to this day? It like, will how, be challenging what were forever. those early? Yeah, what were those early days like? Like how? How did you get your first investors? The, to work with well, you? so that's a phenomenal story. So that day that Nick brought home the app, I said, if you want to do this, right, we have to get money mm-hmm. and we have to hire an engineer and we have to build a dashboard, right? And Nick, again, to his credit, managed to secure, I would say, a million and a half dollars of funding in a week, <laughs> a week and a half. Lionel Richie was one of our very first investors. Mm-hmm. And when we pitched to Lionel Richie, 
what caught him, what he really was excited about was this idea that you can come to me and protect my privacy, right? And what I learned from that experience, because of course I had never pitched, I had never needed investment capital, I'd never done that before. What I had learned from that experience is you have to speak to every investor with a story that appeals to them right? Some of our investors are women. They have children. How do they get their vaccines done when they're leading such busy, you know, hectic lives, right? Some of our uh, investors are men. They never go to the doctor. They know they have high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. How do you approach them? To this day, getting funded is challenging. Is it coming any easier? Yeah, because I think people are waking up to the fact that healthcare is the kind of thing that's going to change elections, right? It's the kind of thing that's going to break America's back. Which we'll talk on the next segment. Yeah. I'm sure we will. But what led you and to like, I'm curious, like to like meet, I mean, how did you meet Lionel Richie? Like how yeah. did that come about? And what, why, great, why him? Great friends. And yeah. because, okay. because Lionel Richie to his, I mean, he is a wonder, I cannot say enough nice things about him. Mm-hmm. He is a wonderful person. But here's the thing about Lionel Richie. He is a person who looks outside of his own wealth and luck and hard work and says other people can benefit from this, mm-hmm. right? That is what made him ultimately, you know, the privacy thing was very interesting to him. But ultimately he thought Americans need healthcare. So if I do this, they can benefit from it. Who was involved after that? I mean, was there a team that you guys started putting in place? Yeah. Yeah. We had one engineer Tell us about, and like, one the earlier hacker. days of yeah. the, store, of the yep. company. It was, it was Google Sheets and pens <laughs> and paper. And to some degree, it still is, you know. Mm. But we had one head engineer and one growth hacker. And slowly and surely, and we've moved, I don't know, every every year we've moved. We We get cheap rent and we move every year. Every year we gain a couple engineers. We make so many mistakes in hiring, so many mistakes in launching a market. So I can't tell you how many mistakes, right? Every day we make mistakes. And every day I'm thinking, wow, I'm so glad I did that because the next city I launch in, now I know I don't need to do this, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So that's what it is. It's us saying, you know, it's like this twitching and turning and curving of business decisions that were good or not, you know? Um, and we take along the, the folks in this office for a ride, right? Our engineers, yeah. our business development, our marketing, we have this awesome group of operations people. Um, and they, you know, I'll give you an example. We've built logic in this office that autonomously routes our medical teams, mm-hmm. right? That's huge. Yeah. You know, our medical teams, this isn't Amazon. Right? Mm-hmm. Your mascara doesn't show up. It's annoying. You still use Amazon. Mm-hmm. Your doctor doesn't show up. You don't use heel. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. So we've built tech that allows um, these doctors to get somewhere on time based on their specialty, based on the patient's needs, and then get to the next visit on time after that. And we have these human beings who come in and they work seven days a week, 12 hours a day period, because you can get sick seven days a week, 12 hours a day. So we want to be there for you. And they oversee all this logic, you know, um, piece by piece, we grow each part of the team based on what we need to automate. Do patients need to have insurance? No. So about 85% of our patients do use their insurance, but about 15% either have high deductibles or don't have insurance or don't want to use their insurance. And we've kept a very cheap cash pay price here in California of $99. A month. Wow. Per use. Per use. Per visit. Per house call. Yes. So how soon after you guys started the company did you see people using this product? Months. 
right? Because, and I remember those days, we were in Santa Monica and every day we'd be vying for a visit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now we, you know, we routinely do some hundred number of house calls, right? But it, it took months. And in new markets, sometimes it takes months. Mm-hmm. There's a believability factor. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a sense for the patient to think, this really is a doctor. And this doctor is really coming to me. Right. And that switch takes time to turn on. How do you, how do you sell that? I mean, like not, I guess not sell it. How, do, how is that persuasion? How does that work? I think it's, it's word of mouth is the most important thing, right? So if, you know, when we first started to give you an example here in LA, I would go to farmer's markets, right? And I do a blood pressure or talk to patients or something. And then one person would use it. And then that one person would tell their family members and that family member would tell their neighbors and it would grow. And I remember, you know, as, as I've grown this company over time, I remember one time I was doing house calls up in San Francisco and we uh, parked and literally our house calls were like on the same blocks, mm. you know, because there was a cluster of patients that knew all about us and they heard from friends. And so we were walking between visits. <coughs> Ideally, that's how this company grows, right? Yeah. You have a doctor in a community and she is the source of, of knowledge and wellness for that group of patients needs. How do you vet out different <coughs> doctors and how does that process look like? Yeah. So we have over a hundred doctors on our platform right now and we personally vet each one. So doctors come to us one of two ways. The vast majority of doctors come to us through word of mouth themselves. So so-and-so works here, loves it and refers a friend. I was on the phone with a doctor just before I mm. came to meet you guys and he had heard through his wife whose best friend works for Heal, right? And so we we want doctors to come to us through word of mouth because they're, they're already understanding of the mission. They're bought in to the tech. They're bought into the idea of what we're trying to build. Which is kind of how it's always been, right? Like, always. you know, you're always referred to the that's doctor right. that t- took that's care of you. That's the best one that, you know, that's the one that fits the job that you need done. Yeah. Um, the pace at which we hire at, we have to use recruiters as, as well. So we do. But I have to be honest, I'm, far more inclined to work with people who are referred than people who are recruited because I'm selling something to a recruited uh, physician. I'm, you know, basically discussing terms with a, you know, a a referred physician. Once they're referred, we vet them, right? We have them shadow house calls and stuff. You know, what if they have a cat allergy Mm -hmm. they didn't know about, right? Mm -hmm. What if they get car sick? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you have to sort these things out. And these are like full-time doctors for heal only. Well, we, the vast majority of our patients are seen by full-time physicians, yes. And we do have per diem doctors for the purpose of overage and coverage and things mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw somewhere that you've done over 100,000 house calls mm-hmm, now. And right. it's been like about four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Four so, years. Uh, congratulations. And, uh, so much more to do. We're excited to see where it goes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.